veterinarian's job isn't really to pass or fail a horse, but um, to find any, you know, maybe issues with the horse that would need management and um, try and find out what the buyer is wanting in the horse so that we can sort of manage the expectations and hopefully, you know, facilitate a smooth sale. Hey guys, welcome back to the Riding to Excellence podcast, man. It has been a hot minute. I'm your host, Louisa Merch-White. We are just coming out of our very busy season. We're starting to kind of go back to our new normal in the winter, which is um, more regular hours. So it's it's nice for our veterinarians, and then it's also nice for the marketing director because I can get them more in a room to sit down and do podcasts. So that's going to be exciting. We're going to have more regular podcasts coming at you in the, in the following months. Um, we've had a couple requests for some really cool ones that we're going to be working on. But as always, if you guys have any requests for a podcast, please feel free to shoot us an email at eeoffice at gmail.com or gmail.com. What? Eeoffice at energyequine.ca. Or, um, of course, you can DM us on Instagram or Facebook. Today, I have Dr. Becky Tease in the hot seat. Hey, Becky, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. This is obviously your first podcast. How are you feeling? Woo! Yeah. <laughs> should have had tequila before we started, but yeah. here we are, here drinking we coffee. Are. Here we are, 11 a.m., <laughs> not drinking tequila. Um, today, uh, Dr. Tease and I are going to talk about pre-purchase exams. It's kind of that time of year where we're pop- some more pre-purchases are popping up, and it's an interesting topic with a couple different layers to it, so we thought it'd be a really cool podcast. Obviously, buying a new horse can be very exciting, but as anyone will tell you, we all know it can also be very nerve-wracking. At Energy Equine, we recommend that no matter where you are, when you begin horse shopping, you should be working with a veterinary team that knows your goals with your future performance horse in mind. That is where the pre-purchase examination comes into play. So today on the podcast, we're going to welcome Dr. Becky Tease to discuss the process behind a pre-purchase examination, how the buyer's expectations can dictate how in-depth the pre-purchase can be, the roles and responsibilities between owner and buyer, as well as the legalities around pre-purchase examinations. So we're going to cover some pretty meaty stuff today. So to kick it off, Becky, in its simplicity, what is a pre-purchase exam? Yeah, a pre-purchase exam is basically an agreement between the prospective buyer of the horse and the veterinarian. Um, and the veterinarian's job isn't really to pass or fail a horse, but um, to find any, you know, maybe issues with the horse that would need management and um, try and find out what the buyer is wanting in the horse so that we can sort of manage the expectations and hopefully, um, you know, facilitate a smooth sale of the horse between the buyer and the seller. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of the difference in a pre-purchase than a lot of veterinary services because you have a owner and then you have you almost have two clients interacting in the same appointment, which is kind of different than obviously if you bring your own horse in for an injection or whatnot. Yeah, totally. And and sometimes, especially with like higher end horses, you get even more players um, sort of in the game too. You can have trainers and you can have agents and you know, um, sometimes I think we did one yesterday and there were seven people involved in the pre-purchase. So they can get pretty heavy and, and, um, but it's just important to always, you know, understand the roles of each person and what they're providing to the pre-purchase um, process. Yeah. So what is the role? If I'm selling you a horse, what is my role as the owner of the horse? From the veterinarian standpoint, um, your role is, you know, um, to provide us with sort of information that might be helpful to us. 
um, going into the pre-purchase. So often we'll ask questions about just the basic history of the horse, um, you know, if they've ever had surgery before, um, their medical history, their travel history, vaccination um, status, um, any injuries, sort of what their training regimen looks like, how often they're being ridden, uh, their show history, just to get an idea of sort of where this horse is at um, and take that into account with what the buyer's expectations are. Um, obviously, if the horse has been being shown really, really heavily and, um, you know, is looking like that on the examination date versus a horse that hasn't worked in two months and is looking really sore. We're going to take all those things into account. Yeah. And then what is the role as the potential buyer? Cause I know it's a little different than a standard, um, a standard, like, uh, what am I trying to say? A standard service because really the pre-purchase is generally booked by the buyer or agent of the buyer. So what is kind of their role in the pre-purchase exam? Yeah, their role is, I mean, typically they're present for the exam or, you know, whoever the trainer or the agent of the horse is going to be there, um, ideally, so we can have a good idea of what they want to do with the examination. Um, and, you know, they're paying for the exam. It gets a little muddy, I guess. People get confused because the buyer is paying for the examination, so the, the seller doesn't necessarily... Um, know what happens during the exam, what the findings are, even though they own the horse, the buyer of the horse is the one that technically owns that information because they're paying for our service. Um, and additionally, any diagnostic imaging that occurs, so x-rays or ultrasound or endoscopy, um, yeah, the potential buyer owns all that information. So unless they want to release that to the seller or any other prospective buyers, they you know, that's theirs to hold and do what they want with. So it's kind of interesting that they have all this information about a horse they don't own and the actual, you know, current owner doesn't necessarily know what happens in the exam. So um, it can get a little confusing. And um, certainly that's why we probably see, you know, legal disputes pop up every now and then surrounding pre-purchases. So. And so then going back to the essential exam, you know, can we only do them in clinic? Can you do them on farm? Kind of where are we at with that? We can do pre-purchases basically anywhere. There's certainly settings that are more optimal than others. Um, I know of veterinarians that fly to Europe to do pre-purchases for horses out there, but um, you know, at its core, we, we want a good setting um, where we can watch the horse um, pretty objectively on different ground surfaces. Obviously, a quieter environment where we can fully assess the horse without a lot of distractions is good. Um, you know, I like to have a flat, hard surface just to assess the conformation of the horse, see how the horse is set up from a shoeing standpoint. Um, and then yeah, flat surfaces, hard and soft to watch the horse, um, go and lunge and do all those things. Yeah. And so then kind of walk us through at the very baseline, what a basic pre-purchase is and what it looks like. So the basic pre-purchase that we offer and is pretty consistent across all equine practices, at least in North America, um, is to do a, a fairly um, thorough physical examination. So this would be examining, you know, their eyes, their mouth, teeth, um, musculature, their heart, make sure their cardiac function is, is adequate, uh, listen to their lungs, their GI tract. Um, you know, depending what they want to use the horse for, if they want to breed the horse, um, then, you know, we'll look at their reproductive system a little more thoroughly than, you know, probably a performance horse we would. Um, and then we do a fairly extensive lameness examination where we 
you know, do flexions, uh, put hoof testers on the horse. And then from there we can do more further things based on the results of that or what the prospective buyer wants to examine. Yeah. And so essentially what you're saying, like each pre-purchase can be pretty different. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure after the basic examination. Totally. Totally. And lots of times it just, you know, it depends on what the you know, the buyer wants to do with the horse. And a lot of times it's, yeah, if it's a horse that's worth $300,000, you're probably going to want to leave no stone unturned versus a $3,000 horse for maybe just wanting something for your kids to poke around the yard on. So, um, you know, we try to meet whatever the client wants. Um, and that's our job is at the end of the day to work for the buyer and make sure that we're providing the service that they want, um, to get an idea of whether this horse will be a fit for them or not. So, so what other services may follow? You kind of mentioned already radiographs, so x-rays and ultrasounds. So what kind of follows from that basic examination into more of like a comprehensive pre-purchase? Yeah, again, I guess it depends on the situation. So, um, you know, down the States, I worked at a practice where we did a lot of pre-sale rads. So if the horse is going into a sale, they'll often have a standard set of radiographs that every horse has to have. And so um, it's sort of a standard series um, versus if, they're, you know, just wanting a horse that's more individualized. We might just see how it flexes off and say if it seems like it's sore in its hocks, we might investigate that further. Um, or if they show a lameness during their examination, we may take uh, survey radiographs to, to ensure that there's nothing, um, you know, crazy going on, at least from a tissue standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, what are some surgical or perhaps invasive procedures that can be involved? Cause right now we've kind of spoken about non-invasive procedures, but, um, I've heard that with consent, of course, there are some invasive procedures that could go into, mm-hmm. um, a high end pre-purchase exam. Totally. Um, I've encountered this a little bit in the Western performance world, I guess, when I was down in the States. So say your cutters and rainers, um, where they're being shown and sort of switched hands at a younger age. Lots of times if um, you come across like a developmental lesion, like a dirt lesion um, in their hocks, lots of times part of the sale will be, you know, I want this horse, but I want that lesion taken out. And so um, either I pay for it and you give me a reduced purchase price or you take it out and and I purchase the horse or, you know, that's up to them to figure out. But um, but certainly I've seen that happen before. Um, Yeah, that's kind of, I guess, your most common one. Mm -hmm. And you kind of touched on it in the beginning, but uh, I find this more of like a interesting quote unquote fun fact around pre-purchases. But what are the legalities around a pre-purchase? Because I know like had you had mentioned that they're, they can, they can go into legal territory quite, quite commonly. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, I guess it was interesting at, at the American Association of Equine Practitioners last year, pre-purchases were a pretty hot topic and it looks like this year uh, coming up in December is the conference that there's going to be quite a few um, talks on it again. And, and last year they, they noted in the entire veterinary profession, including small animal, um, nothing results in as many legal disputes as the pre-purchase exam. So, so with that in mind, Becky, that, you know, pre-purchases are the number one reason for litigations and lawsuits in veterinary medicine kind of how does the vet have to interact with both those parties? You kind of touched on it earlier. Yeah, I think, you know, before we even do the pre-purchase, we need to make sure that there's not a conflict of interest. So obviously, 
if I'm going to do a pre-purchase on a horse, it's probably not a good idea if I'm, you know, also the veterinarian of the horse already or that I work for the seller. Um, if I do that, then I'm going to find a different veterinarian, at least in my practice to do it. That's not familiar with the horse. Um, and ideally doesn't know anything about the horse. And if that's not the case, and, um, in those instances, sometimes we even suggest they go to a different practice mm-hmm. um, or you're up front. Like I was in a yeah. situation where, um, it was kind of a distance that I had to go to. And the vet did say very upfront, you know, I am the vet for this client and I've seen this horse quite a bit. Are you comfortable with that? And I, I said, yes. Yeah. But again, I think that's where kind of communication is key. Yeah. And I think that just needs to be established and recorded appropriately, um, you know, in any paperwork that follows up in the pre-purchase and the report afterwards. Mm -hmm. And like at Energy Equine, I'm sure at many and most practices, obviously we take pre-purchases very seriously. Our clinic requires a consent form that's signed by the buyer to ensure there are no discrepancies with the exam. And we will send this form to both the purchaser as well as owner and any potential agents that might be involved to, again, ensure there's no discrepancies in moving forward. So just being really clear about what's going to occur, who's going to be involved, and so that everyone's on the kind of the same page. And you did touch on this, but we'll, we'll come back to it quickly. You did say that it's kind of a different situation because it's the buyer's exam or the potential purchaser's examination. So what does that mean? They own all the material that comes and reports that come out of that pre-purchase exam. Totally. So, um, when we finish up with the pre-purchase exam, uh, you know, most veterinarians will write a report called a pre-purchase report that then we, they will release to the buyer. Um, and they, you know, they basically own that report and that's all the findings that were um, seen on examination, including radiographic findings, ultrasonographic findings, um, and, and then, yeah, the buyer can do with that with what they wish. If they decide to pass on the horse and find out somebody else is looking at it, they can even, you know, sell the report to the new prospective buyer if they want, um, or sell the radiographs or, you know, just give it to them. You know, they figure that out. That's not really in our realm, but, um, and yeah, so that's sort of how that works. And then it's always really important that they understand that, a pre-purchase exam is this, you know, I wish we all had a crystal ball that, you know, vets could look in and say like, oh yeah, in two years, this horse is going to, you know, injure its medial meniscus and its right stifle. And, and so don't buy it, but we, we don't have that ability, obviously. So all we can tell you is what we see today. It's a snapshot in time. It's not a crystal ball. It's, you know, not a, you know, looking into the past. We, all we have is the moment that we look at the horse. So, um, that can make it a little, you know, scary for us to do. And so, um, I feel like lots of times vets get the bad rap that we're trying to fail every horse that comes in and and we're not, I honestly like want every horse that I see on a pre-purchase, I want it to pass because obviously the buyer likes the horse enough that they want to do the pre-purchase. And obviously the seller wants to sell the horse. Um, so I just want everybody to be happy, but at the same time, um, I'm working for the buyer and I need to do right by the horse and the buyer to make sure that it's going to be a good sale. Um, so that's my job. And, and obviously, yeah, I'd like to be able to tell them as much as possible, but, um, at the same time, I, I only look at the horse for, you know, the two hours that I examine it and I have the images that I obtain, you know, from further diagnostics, but uh, yeah, I don't have a crystal ball. I can just tell you what I see on examination that day. So if only we did. Yeah. (laughs) Um, something that I wasn't aware of, but that we kind of talked about before this podcast 
Another interesting fun fact, especially for our dressage and jumping clients that are buying and selling in European markets, you had mentioned that European pre-purchases are quite different than North American exams. So kind of shed some light on that for us, just because I think it's really interesting. Yeah, again, this was sort of talked about it. AEP last year, um, especially with these international horses and, and often these international horses are worth a lot of money. Um, but in Europe, it's quite different because of the amount of litigation that they have with surrounding pre-purchases. Um, so there's a basic pre-purchase fee, just like we have in North America, but then, um, 0.6% of the horse's purchase price, um, has to be um, you know, paid by the prospective buyer to cover the practice's liability insurance. So, um, if you have a horse that's worth a hundred thousand dollars, the prospective buyer will be paying the vet $6,000 just to cover their liability insurance. And, and the, and that veterinarian has to have enough insurance to cover the purchase price of that horse. So if I only own, you know, hold litigation insurance for horses up to $50,000, um, I can't do a pre-purchase on a horse where the asking price is a hundred thousand, um, cause my liability coverage doesn't cover that. So there's sort of different realms of equine vets in the, in Europe that do different levels of pre-purchases, I guess. And, and your standard views on radiographs vary a bit too. So in us and Canada, we're pretty variable depending on, um, I guess the horse, the breed, um, we see so many different disciplines here, I guess, and maybe that's why, but it varies between 24 and 64 views. Um, whereas in Germany, in Netherlands, it's pretty standard to do 18 views. Belgium's 22. Um, you know, Italy's 23 or 32 views. So it varies a lot depending on what country you're in and, and probably, um, you know, what discipline and breed the horse is. Mm-hmm. And interesting, too, that it, because of having the requirement to hold that um, litigation insurance, it creates kind of a, a funnel where certain veterinarians are the only ones that are able to do pre-purchases mm-hmm. for horses over, you know, $2 million because holding that, that insurance is, is quite substantial totally. financially. Yeah. And, and I mean, it opens up a whole nother can of worms too, that was talked about, um, in Europe that it's pretty common for them to ride the horse under saddle as part of the pre-purchase. And then, you know, litigation wise, well, who's covered it with insurance to ride the horse? What if the horse bucks off the rider during the exam at the clinic? Does the clinic pay for their medical bill? Like, well, it's, yeah, it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. So, um, but yeah, I I mean, I guess it's obviously it's gotten to that point for a reason where they've probably had a lot of lawsuits, but, (laughs) um, it doesn't seem like we're quite as intense here in North America yet. It might get to that point and couple years who knows yeah well if anything it's interesting and especially if if you are um someone that's looking into shopping in the european markets which we have certainly have clients that do it's interesting to know that moving forward because i think i'd be shocked if i went to europe and all of a sudden they're like hey this is like part of our pre-purchases i'd be like what are you talking about yeah yeah if you're buying a three million dollar horse you uh you better have some money just to get the pre-purchase paid for. So (laughs) you better not be putting it on a line of credit. (laughs) No. Well, yeah. Um, and I did want to touch on quickly. We talked about this again, just in passing and I I forgot to fail to mention it earlier, but we talked about x-rays and you talked about how, um, we're a bit more lax in North America about the certain amount of images that we take, but you had given me uh, an interesting quote about x-rays not being 3D. So kind of describe what that means and why if I come in and you suspect some issues of the hawk, you might be taking multiple x-rays instead of just one. Yeah, 
I, I find um, a lot like we'll, we'll see some horses, especially horses in our practice. We look at a lot of performance horses that have had to, you know, had a job for a while and they've been working pretty hard. And so it's not uncommon for us to see some things on this soundness exam um, that might show a little bit of lameness somewhere um, and is probably warranted to look at those structures further with radiographs and make sure that there's, um, you know, nothing going on that would change the you know, the projection of the sale of the horse. So, um, and I understand sometimes radiographs, you know, you kind of go down the rabbit hole a little bit and, and it's like, Oh, we want to look at his feet and his hocks and his stifles. And, and, you know, it, it is a lot and I get that, but, um, you know, we don't have x-ray vision. And so we don't know unless we look sometimes about what's going on in there. And well, sometimes you, Sometimes you need multiple views to get a true, yeah, a I, true snapshot of what's actually happening in that structure. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a it's not a three dimensional image, although it kind of looks like that on the screen when you first look at an X ray. Totally, yeah. You might be missing something if your angle or the way that you have set up is wrong. Yeah, in a perfect world, we take at least two views of every structure, but usually we prefer to have four. Um, because it's not a 3d image. So lots of times you can get overlap of structures where it will hide a lesion that you won't see unless you take it from a different angle. And so it's not that, you know, perfectly, we would love to just take one view because it would save you guys a lot of money, but we just don't want to do that and then miss something. And then you end up buying the horse and then we've missed a lesion that it had that we couldn't see because we cut corners on x-rays. Um, is basically mm-hmm. what it comes down to. Yeah. So, and I think like this whole conversation we've been having around pre-purchases is not meant to be scary, but it is a certain service that requires a lot of communication and acknowledgement of how much you want to spend, what level of performance you're going into, how far you want to go down the rabbit hole. If something is deemed irregular in the original soundness exam, there's a lot of things to think about um, before you actually come into that appointment as a potential purchaser. Yeah. And, and even if you have an idea, um, you know, of sort of a budget, say like, okay, I have $1,200 to spend on x-rays. If you tell us that we will, you know, prioritize what we think is most important in a perfect world, we could take the full, you know, 64 radiographs of the entire horse. Cause then we're going to be able to tell you a lot more and give you a lot more information on whether the horse is probably going to work out for you or not. Um, but you know, if you can only take four radiographs, then, you know, depending what I see on the, on the lameness exam, I'm going to prioritize that. So, but if you have an idea of sort of, yeah, what you're willing to spend and prioritize on the pre-purchase, then, um, then it'll probably go more smoothly if you already have that sort of in, in your mind before showing up for the appointment. Mm -hmm. And then when shopping for a new performance horse and looking into getting a pre-purchase exam done, kind of what's your recommendation? Who should they be seeking out to work with and what kind of vets should they be trying to find, especially if they're in more rural areas? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends to, um, I guess, where you are. So certainly, um, I think it's worth asking, you know, how many pre-purchases your prospective veterinarian does in a year and, and finding out how those go. So, um, you know, we do quite a few here and, and where I was at in the States, we did a lot as well. And so I guess it was a little more routine for us and, and because we did so many, we were a little more comfortable with assessing risk for horses um, and assigning risk for future soundness or, um, you know, management of conditions that the horse might have, you know, when we do the pre-purchase where 
Um, maybe if you don't do as many of those or see as many performance horses or just horses in general, you might overread or underread findings on radiographs or have difficulty sort of assessing, you know, the longevity of a horse based on lesions seen today. Um, so I think it's just worth doing your homework a little bit and finding a veterinarian that is pretty familiar with the pre-purchase process. And again, like sort of what their pre-purchase entails. Um, yeah, they should at the very least involve a good physical exam and, and a soundness evaluation. But, um, yeah, if they aren't comfortable with horses, then, um, it might be worth looking for someone that is, especially if you're paying a lot of money for the horse. Mm -hmm, definitely. So, yeah, I think that kind of sums up the general conversation around the pre-purchase exam. And like we said, it's sort of a choose your own adventure service, which makes it a little different than the other services we offer. But as always, communication is really important. So just coming to the veterinarian with your future plans for that horse and, you know, being as open and honest to what they're saying and what you're wanting out of the pre-purchase exam, I think is always just a really good rule of thumb. All right, guys, that is about it. Becky, do you have anything else to add to the topic of PPEs? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, it's a pretty big topic to try and tackle, but obviously if, if anybody has any questions about pre-purchase exams, they can always call us and get clarification, even if we're you know not performing a pre-purchase for you, but you're far away. Um, you know, We can always at least give you a little information on, on what they entail. So mm -hmm. Yeah, can... definitely. Never be afraid to give us a shout and uh, we'll try to help you to the best of, of our abilities. It's been interesting with this podcast now that we've kind of been, been dead on the airwaves for a while, the amount of people commenting and asking for it to come back and the amount of people that aren't even in Alberta or even in Canada that listen to this podcast. So it's pretty crazy that this little um, Easter egg baby that we hatched a couple months ago has become uh, a podcast that people listen to around North America because I don't think we expected that when we first started. So it's kind of <laughs> neat. So if you are nowhere close to us and you can't get a pre-purchase done with one of our veterinarians, uh, hopefully this podcast has provided you some information moving forward so that you can get a great pre-purchase done for your future performance source. All right, guys, that's all we have for today. Like I said at the very beginning, if you have any topics you'd like us to cover this winter while we have the time to get the veterinarians in the room, please shoot us a message and we will try to accommodate it. Thanks again and thanks for coming on, Becky. Thanks.